welcome to More Than Politics, a podcast for those of us who want something more than what we've come to expect from politics and from our political discourse. My name is Julie Varner-Walsh. I'm your host. Sorry that it's been a little longer than usual between full episodes here. My children began the school year last week, one child in person and three remotely, which means that I have just taken on a new full-time tech support gig with a fifth grader, a third grader, a first grader, a preschooler, and a toddler under our roof. We are very much living in the real world here, friends. I should have accounted for the new school year adjustment in my podcast planning, but hope springs eternal. At any rate, I am so excited to share today's episode with you. This past summer, in the wake of George Floyd's death, I became aware of, and I started following, a number of black women, mostly Catholics, who were speaking out against racism and sharing their experiences with it. One of the most compelling women I encountered was Linda Wansi, who posts on Instagram under the handle Camerican Chick. That's the letter C, American, short for Cameroonian American. Last month, I approached Linda to see if she'd consider coming onto the podcast. And after a very enjoyable getting to know you phone conversation, Linda suggested what I think is the perfect topic for this episode, and really, for this moment. It's a topic that any good citizen, and especially any good Christian, should be willing to wrestle with. Being open to the idea that we could be wrong. Dr. Linda Wansey is a cradle Catholic who fell away from the church, but was called back to the fullness of her faith after what she considers a miraculous encounter with the Eucharist. When she is not caring for patients in her dental office, Linda can be found chasing her two toddler daughters or chasing sleep. She is passionate about spreading the gospel and proclaiming the sanctity and dignity of all life, from womb to tomb. This conversation was recorded on September 1st. All right, Linda, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here too. I'm glad to have the chance to talk with you, Julie. So thank you. Great. So today, Linda and I are talking about the idea of being open to the idea that you might be wrong. And I think it's something that hopefully if we're being introspective and we're examining our lives, hopefully it's something we've considered in our personal lives. But I think it's also really important to consider when it comes to politics and our public lives, because you know, I've said this in my introduction episode, but I, I really think of politics as the way is like you relate your morality to the world. It's like your your way of acting in the world. And we should be considering whether we're acting in the right ways and whether we have things right or wrong. So Linda and I talked the other day and started on to a good conversation. I thought it would be great to share it with um, with our audience. So Linda, could you introduce yourself and maybe say something about your thoughts on this idea of being open to the idea that you're wrong? Yeah, sure. Actually, I think a lot of who I am and the experiences I've had um, can explain why I have this stance on being open to the idea of being wrong and being willing to hear other ideas and change your stance on things. Um, So I'm a cradle Catholic. I am a first-generation American. My family is from Cameroon, West Africa. So I spent most of my life actually in New Orleans, but also lived in Cameroon. Um, all the while being Catholic and getting to experience my faith, you know, through the lens of being in Cameroon and through the lens of being in America. Um, 
I currently am a single mom of two beautiful little girls. Uh, and uh, my whole view on their lives and life is also another thing that we'll get into later. Um, but yeah, I have always been Catholic, always loved my faith. Like a lot of people, I fell away when I was in college, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. I had a really powerful conversion. Um, when I finished college, finished dental school, did a general residency, I ended up experiencing um, a transformation in my faith. And one thing that God ended up convicting me on, uh, a few things really were related to my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really a big part, a theme in my life, this, this theme of constantly having um, many assumptions I've made, questions, or many opinions that I felt strongly about change. And I think just having a different cultural background and being in different countries has also really helped me realize that people yeah, can sure. see things differently and do things differently. And it's not so easy to kind of lump people up or dismiss them when you get to be up and personal, seeing that many different people can be wonderful and loving and good, but have different opinions and views on things. Sure. And I think also when you are put in a different situation, sometimes you can also, it's like an opportunity to evaluate yourself. Like who am I in this group of people or who am I in this setting or in this culture, you know? Yes. Yes. That's very true. Um, yeah, I, I love this idea because when I think about my life, like my adult life, say after from college onward, I think of a few periods of my life where I just really had to wrestle with myself and think, am I doing what I'm supposed to be? Like really had to look within and decide, Mm -hmm. do I like the way I'm living? Have I, have I been going about things in the right way or the wrong way? And I really can identify like a few points in my life where it's like, my life is like floating along. And then all of a sudden there's like a thunk, you know, like a, like a, oh man, I need to deal with this situation. And like, through wrestling and working, you kind of work through it and then you move on for a while and then there's another thunk. <laughs> yes. And, and I, I'm, I'm like really stubborn. I don't know about you, but I'm really stubborn. <laughs> so I, I hate to enter, like it is not in my nature to be like, oh, please tell me I'm wrong. You know, I'm like, no, I want to be mm-hmm. right. Yes. And so it's hard to kind of let go of that and to say, well, like, okay, you need to let that stubbornness go because it's getting in your way. And, and if it's keeping you from the truth, then you need to like deal with that. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And when you were talking about the big thunk that we all experience, I think the, the one that comes to my mind right now would be my, can I share a bit of my conversion story or reversion story? Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so sure. when you were just like, I just related to you so much when you were talking about how you're kind of going along your life thinking you're right. From a spiritual point of view, that really resonated with me because like I said, when I had, um, when I went to college, I kind of fell away from my faith, became very worldly, um, began to think, oh, religion is just this thing used to control people. I'm an adult now. I'm a free thinker and all those things. Um, and I remember just kind of being like, oh, okay, I've checked all the boxes. I've gone to, to college and dental school, and now I'm going to help the poor. And I'm going to take this part of the church I agree with and that part that I don't agree with, I'm not going to stick with. And I felt convinced that because mm-hmm. I had a heart for helping the marginalized and things like that, um, that that's all you had to do. Just be nice to your neighbors and help give to the poor. And that's what God caused me to. Um, but right before Christmas, um, it was 2013, December 24th, to be exact. I remember just wow. having this, this experience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it had been a lead you up for a week thing. or two. <laughs> yes. It was very, it was very profound mm-hmm. because uh, leading up to the, um, that holiday, I had been having this weird feeling of you've been living your life. Like everything is okay. You just finished residency. Life is supposed to begin, blah, blah, blah. Why do you feel kind mm-hmm. of empty or like something is off? 
And I felt God talking to me and I began talking to Our Lady again and just kind of trying to go back into my faith beyond just like saying I'm a Catholic, but not knowing where my nearest parish is, you know? <laughs> and, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and December 24th was a day when um, I just had to drive back to Virginia to go to confession. And prior to that, the night before the 23rd, I had woken up out of nowhere and God just spoke to me. And I really began to see my life being played before my eyes, like a film. And I could see all these things I had been doing, going out with friends, going, you know, to take drinks, doing all of these things. And God's showing me, well, the world tells you that you're okay on this and you think you're okay, but this is not what I called you for. And from that moment on, I knew that I had to go to confession. I hadn't gone to confession for a while. And I knew that I had to go to confession and mean it and change my life. And at that point, I could not explain what was pulling me, but I knew that I was wrong and I knew that I had to do this. And, and I was a very prideful person, very, I'm intellectual, I, you know, and God had to just go to my heart, I think, because he knew I would, in my yeah. pride, question everything and try to find a way to make everything wrong so it can fit what I believe. But long story short, I drove like in the snow through the mountains from North Carolina to Northern Virginia to the one parish that was open for confession on New on Christmas Eve, which wow. is very, very rare. And I went to confession. And as I was walking out the door, I literally heard a voice. I mean, it was more real than my voice. And it said, Linda, I have called you to me many times this way. And, you know, this is the last time I'm going to call you this way. You have to use your free will to choose. Will you walk towards me or will you walk back to the world? And I'm not kidding. As those words were being said, I just remembered the, the very few times in those past two years that I had gone to confession. And I had left the confessional kind of like, I know that this was what I should do, but I don't want to change my whole life. I still want to get drunk. You know, I'm in college or, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> so he showed me, he's like, okay, well, I have... Draw, drawn you here from your bed in the snow. <laughs> the Holy Spirit brought you here, but you still have free will. So you can decide to keep walking in the direction that you were with the world, convinced that everything you believe is right, convinced that this sort of, you know, picking and choosing the things you want is okay. Um, and maybe being affirmed in the bubble you're in, right? With other people who tell you, hey, if it feels good, do it. Or you could choose to take the radical, difficult, but more fulfilling path of following me. And that I never looked back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, December 24th, 2013, that's when I learned in a major wow. way that I should be open to the idea <laughs> that I could be wrong. <laughs> wow. So. Wow. Yeah. So it was like a really dramatic, a yes. dramatic revelation of realizing that you had been wrong and that you needed to accept that if you wanted to move forward. Yes, absolutely. And it was the yeah. beginning of a very humbling journey. You know, like you had said, it can be hard for us to realize we can be wrong. And I'm still human, right? I learn every day. Mm-hmm. But I think that experience, maybe God in his mercy and you, okay, this girl, she struggles a lot with this concept. So let me help her out. It was, <laughs> it was very, very humbling. I need to be explicit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was very humbling because I was the quintessential college person who was like, I am pro-abortion. And if you were pro-life, then you are an anti-feminist and you do not love women and you do not, you know, I just, that was, I was so passionate about that particular issue. And when God convicted me on that, uh-huh. it changed me. So, yeah. Wow. 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 Mine, mine have been, um, mine haven't been as dramatic as that. Like the biggest thunk I can think of in my, my experience is that toward the end of my twenties, I had like, um, I had always had this idea that like, as soon as I graduated from college, I would get married and start a family and I would just go along this easy path. And it just, it didn't happen. Like I just wasn't, 
meeting any guys or nothing was working out. And even though I enjoyed my job and I, you know, had a, made like a nice little life for myself, I was just miserable. I was miserable. Mm -hmm. And I spent so much, I wasted so much time being miserable mm -hmm. because I wasn't living the life that I thought I was going to live at that point in my life. And it was really toward the end of my 20s when I finally, I just had that, I had gone through like years of angst and misery. And I just finally had this like thunk where it was like, okay, you need to choose. Mm -hmm. Like you can keep making yourself miserable or you can realize the blessings you have in your life and be thankful for them and just give it all over and just say, I cannot control everything that happens to me. And it's just, it's just not, it's not working. I needed to get to the point where I could realize that I had wasted a lot of time and been wrong mm -hmm. and that it wasn't, it just wasn't helping me. Yeah. So anyway, so that was like a big thunk and, and really what, what it, what it grew in me was just the ability to kind of let go of things and to stop mm -hmm. trying to control everything and to just let it go and try to enjoy life as it came. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It was a big, it was a big mental shift for me and it, improved my life dramatically, even if the moment wasn't as dramatic as yours was. <laughs> um, but I had, but I had like, you know, and in, in talking about politics and you, you know, you mentioned shifting your uh, position on abortion. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in college, um, I started to hear opinions different from what I held on the death penalty. Like I had been very pro death penalty, not even just like, eh, it's okay. It's necessarily evil. I was like, yeah, it's a good thing. I was all for it. And, um, it was really getting in touch with people who understood church teaching on the issue and reading more on the issue and kind of also giving up that control, like wrestling in my heart and realizing that um, I needed to sort of let go of this idea that I could control, you know, or, or that we as a people could control as far as like giving out justice, you know. Um, mm -hmm. There was a big mental shift that I needed to make where I got to the point where I could say, well, just because somebody has committed a crime that deserves the death penalty, that doesn't mean that we need to actually give out the death penalty. Like right. somebody could do the worst thing in the world and be deserving of whatever horrible thing happens to them. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you dish out that horrible thing. Yes. So it was like, a, you know, it, I guess my theme is control. I have had to realize <laughs> on, these, on these moments that um, it is wrong of me to assume I can control everything. And it is healthier for me to give up that control. Yes. Well, I think that's cool that you were able to change your views on that. Yeah, and I, I just, you know, each time I've, each time I've had one of these thunks, but including, um, including changing my mind on an issue, I have felt such a sense of peace. You know, it's like you struggle with something, mm -hmm. and then finally it like kind of clunks into the right place, like a puzzle piece just finally fitting, mm -hmm. and I have felt so much peace. You know, yeah. So I, I never, I've never really looked back on any of my clunks. <laughs> I don't know. Did you feel the same sense of peace after your reversion and after your change of opinion on abortion? You know, that's an interesting question. I, 
when I when I look back on it, when I drove in the snow through the snow to go get go to confession and receive um, the Eucharist properly, because that was the prompting was to receive the Eucharist right. properly right. disposed, which meant go to confession, and then mm-hmm. the whole change your life thing happened. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So as I at that point began looking into different aspects, I knew at that point okay, I'm going to learn more about my faith. Of course, I grew stronger in my Catholic faith in that. But I began having honest conversations with Christ. I was like, well, I'm hung up on the church teaching on marriage. I'm especially hung up on the church teaching Mm -hmm. on abortion. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I felt that I had to humble myself because I had to first start with humility and realizing, well, if I have just experienced what I know is miraculous and God has confirmed to me, that he is who he says he is, that the Eucharist is truly the, you know, the blood of Christ, the blood and body of Christ is present under the, the appearance of the host. I, I understood that if he is who he says he is and his holy Catholic church is who she claims to be, which is the church that he oversees, um, then there's a chance that if I'm in disagreement with him, maybe I'm the one who's wrong. And so it wasn't so mm-hmm. much that I now, I didn't overnight suddenly go, oh yes, I now believe abortion's wrong. But I knew that what I was believing wasn't adding up to what Christ was saying. And so I prayed about it. Um, and at first I was uncomfortable, to be very honest, A, because I sincerely still believed that this will help women or what about difficult situations? And B, because my whole circle of friends were all mostly pro-choice. I had very few friends mm-hmm. who were pro-life. And you know, that's a very contentious mm-hmm. topic. And mm-hmm, if sure. you if you are somebody who is... Um, pro-life and you're in a predominantly pro-choice circle, it can get a little uncomfortable because mm-hmm. pro-choice people would just assume, well, of course, people would never tell a woman what to do with her body. And then when you start, when you, who used to be a vocal pro-choice advocate who almost <laughs> volunteered for an abortion organization in college is now saying, well, no, I think I could be wrong. <laughs> you might be a little mm-hmm. bit like, hmm, you're afraid. But I really mm-hmm. turned my eyes towards God. And when I humbled myself first and admit it, I still had hangups and beliefs and whatever, maybe even biases, you could say. Because I had this view that, well, the unborn, like, yes, they're babies, but they're really small. And the, the woman will be treated a certain, you know, she, her life is affected by this child. I still was disconnecting the, the, the humanity of the child, honestly, as being separate from the mother. Um, because it really mm-hmm. is, you know. Um, but nonetheless, when I did finally humble myself, it allowed me to be open to being wrong, which then allowed me to use my intellect to read up. And of course, as somebody with a health background. I'm surprised that I could take astrology and all of this and really even debate <laughs> whether a, a, an unborn child has, should have its own autonomy and agency because it really, it is a person, you know? But nonetheless, I, you're right. Mm-hmm. I did I did feel peace, which I would say came in the form of conviction. <laughs> I think I just have a conviction person. I'm just very, I'm very passionate in life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I, at that point, really saw I was able to be intellectually also convinced on abortion because of the facts, because of what I was seeing, mm-hmm. because I was also listening to testimonies of women sharing their stories about abortions and what it did to them, hearing stories of women who who survived abortions or women who were women and men who were supposed to be aborted and they and they weren't for one reason or the other. Those stories really had a profound effect on me. But honestly, all of it happened only when I was first willing to soften my heart and also humble myself and just take a chance that I could be wrong. Um, and I think to be Catholic is to be forever a little uncomfortable and to have peace with that. <laughs> I think it, it really, yeah. God asks us to do something that is very difficult, but he doesn't ask us to do it on our own. Um, and being yeah. that we all have a fallen nature, like the way I look at it, 
one of the things that I always find comfort in is whenever I have that aha moment that Christ isn't asking me to be perfect. He's asking me to be authentic and to be open to him. And if we do that each time, I really think the rest of it can be taken care of. And I think that's what happened with me on abortion. Like if you had known me in college and you now know that I am like super pro-life, you would be like, what? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> With flash. <laughs> yes. And I think I'm also just really passionate. I have a lot of compassion for people who are pro-choice in the sense that I used to really think I was right. So I'm not a believer in like mm-hmm. canceling somebody. People can be wrong and change. We can be redeemed by Christ. I truly believe that. I believe that love is like Christ says, you know, love is about truth and charity. You have to have both. So it's not mm-hmm. loving someone to tell somebody, oh yeah, because you are pro-choice, I don't want to hurt your feelings by telling you that, no, it's actually ending a human life. That's not love. It's also mm-hmm. not love to be like, you're killing, you're a baby murderer, you're going to hell. That There's no charity in that. You know. So I think yeah. whatever topics you're approaching, you have to have both that, that truth, but also the charity, you know, if you're trying to be loving. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love the way Bishop Barron puts it. He says that to love is to will the good of the other. Yes. You know, that yes. when you, when you, when you love someone, you don't just want them to be like surface happy. You want mm-hmm. like the actual good for them. You want, yes. um, you want goodness for them. You want them to be um, making their way, way toward goodness in life. You want them to be drawn to the truth. You want them to have love. You want, you know, you want all of this actual real goodness for them. Yes. And um that that's something that you can apply to anybody. I mean that's somebody mm-hmm. that's something that you can apply to people that you disagree with, people that you don't even necessarily like. Mm-hmm. You know, you can still love them in the sense of wanting good things for them. I mean, I think of that with some people I have difficulty with. It's like, okay, yeah. I can't I can't be really dealing with this person right now, but I but I in charity I I want the best for them. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. want, I want them to be a better person and I want them to experience um, goodness and love in their lives. So anyway, I, um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of times for me, when you are trying to consider um, sort of where you are in the world and whether you're right, to me, I feel a lot like there's like a stripping away, you know, like you need to you need to strip away pride. You need to strip away attachment. You need to strip away um, resentment. Like you need to strip away these things that sort of like clutter up your brain and um, push you around to try to get to see what the truth of the matter is and um, what you really think is right deep down when you get, when you get rid of all those things that are like clawing at you. Yeah. So I, um, for me, there's a lot of like sitting down and trying to be like, okay, how can I be with, be like the most honest with myself that I can be? Yes. Um, and I've had a lot of opportunity to think about that over the past several months in the wake of George Floyd's death. I was, there's been so much discussion about like Black Lives Matter and protests and different issues on race. I feel like on a lot of these things, I've had like a little like turning, like a little like um, new perspective on things, you know, like mm-hmm. I I don't feel like a lot has really dramatically changed or fundamentally changed for me, but things have changed in like little ways, like on the idea of the term Black Lives Matter. So like when that term first started coming up a few years ago, um, 
I, I will admit my knee jerk reaction was like, well, all lives matter. And I didn't mean it in that black lives don't matter. It was just my knee jerk reaction because I am pro-life and I always like to say, well, everybody matters. And I try to connect um, my pro-life convictions across the board, like from abortion to immigration to poverty, like I try to be consistent. So that was just like my little knee jerk reaction. And, um, and I, I really came to understand in a new way this summer that that phrase was not meant to negate anyone. It was meant to say, here is a population that has been undervalued so desperately for so long. Let's say that they matter. And I was like, you're right. I got it. I'm going to put my hands up. I'm going to give that one up. And I am going to acknowledge the truth in that message. Mm -hmm. Um, I sometimes think of it as like, it depends on the emphasis about like where you put the emphasis in that phrase. Mm -hmm. You know, like I used to hear it as black lives matter. And now I hear it as black lives matter. Mm -hmm. And for me, like that was just like this little turning in my mind and in my heart that like, it like changed my disposition some way, Yes, you know? And um, I did something similar and I wrote a blog post on this after George Floyd was killed, but I did something similar on like the discussion about, you know, the terrible phenomenon in which a black man is killed by the police and a protest follows. And sometimes a protest turns into a riot. And I think that a lot of white people have a tendency to say, um, oh, yeah, well, the death was bad, but, you know, the riots are really terrible and, we, you know, business owners don't deserve that and all that. It's like, well, there can be truth in that statement, but did you really need to include the but? Like, right. <laughs> was that really necessary? Um it you know it and that was sort of that process went on in my head i wasn't someone who was very vocal about it but it definitely went on in my head i was like well but that's not the way to deal with it mm-hmm. and there was something in my heart that changed at george floyd's death where i just i had to be honest with myself and say just take that butt out of there let's just put that aside let's just say george floyd's death was awful and just stop there yes let's let's focus on that you're not really adding anything to the conversation by persisting in that but. And also it occurred to me later, if you want to use the but, use it the other way, you know, say, um, Mm -hmm. man, these riots are terrible, but that death was just gutting, you know? Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily wrong to acknowledge the hurt in different ways, but I think you need to be honest with yourself about, how you're um how you're couching it, how you're putting it all together, and making sure that you're acknowledging a really deep and lasting pain that is unresolved and needs addressing. Yes, yes. George Floyd's death, I think, has caused a lot of people to reflect um, on their lives and on what his death means to them or changing their views on things. Some people, some people not, but um, I can tell you as a, as a black woman, as a Catholic, as a person who was pro-life or whole life, as I would say, um, that Mm -hmm. death for me was really, it was really hard to watch 
And it was really painful mm-hmm. to see how many people were more worried about buildings. Like I can tell you, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. was just, it was hard to go to work. I know it was during COVID, but I'm in healthcare. So I still had to show up. And when people would ask, how are you? I had to pretend and say, I'm okay. I'd be talking mm-hmm. to my black friends who all were had at some point cried in that day or that week, multiple mm-hmm. times. I only had one white friend from my, from my church call me to see how I was. I had more people who I know in church who were white, who were more concerned about buildings and who had to butt the buildings. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was just really a, a stark rem- for me reminder that when it comes to race in this country, it is a deep, there's a deep wound there. Mm-hmm. There's a deep mm-hmm. history there. And mm-hmm. I, and I think for so many people, and I include people of all races in this country, um, the history that we are given, the facts that are presented do not paint an accurate picture of what is going on. And part of the way that manifests is even in how people respond to George Floyd, because as a black woman, I was looking at George Floyd and thinking that could be my brother, one of my two brothers, Mm -hmm. that could be my Mm -hmm. father. And to know that people would be more worried about buildings. I remember Mm -hmm. just thinking this is just really heartbreaking. And it just made me, it just made me just feel so alone, (laughs) especially Mm -hmm. as a Catholic, I'm going to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. I have seen something very inspiring. You know, I've been connecting more and more with white Catholics online who, who are saying, cause I began kind of speaking up as a black Catholic mother who wants, who Mm -hmm. knows I want to keep my daughters close to the Eucharist, close to Christ living in the fullness of faith, you know, but I don't want them to experience the, the, the emotional trauma of befriending a bunch of people. You all go to mass together, but when something like this happens, comments are being made that show that your black life really mm-hmm. is actually does matter less, which is why people are saying black mm-hmm. lives matter. <laughs> right. You know, I yeah. emphasize all three of those black lives matter, yeah. because for me, yeah. if you look at the spirit in which those words are said, it's really, like you said, highlighting the fact that black lives tend to, for some reason, not be valued the same. And it shows up in the way laws mm-hmm. are practiced and the way many people even regard things and the biases we bring to the table. And that's affected by the history and the way things are shown. There's just so many layers to it. And I think, um, so anyways, I began talking about it more and more and I began to connect with other Catholics um, of various races. And I began to see a lot of white Catholics saying, hey, thank you so much. I'm learning more. I'm realizing there are things I didn't understand before or that things are way worse than I realized. Like, yes, it's mm-hmm. 2020. Yes, we've had a black president, but apparently these, when people talk about police brutality and how race factors in, I used to think that it's all just sort of being, uh, you know, it's just quote unquote liberal talking points. But now I've seen with my own eyes <laughs> that this is an issue. So that began to give me hope. And it made me think of my experience with abortion. You know, when you have pro-choice people calling unborn babies a lump of tissue or when they see Daniel Delayden's videos and they are literally like more worried about him doing undercover footage than mm. seeing baby parts being talked about and how you can get more for a head. And I mean, it was just, pro-lifers mm. were crying when those videos came out. Pro-choices were more worried about, oh my goodness, the legality of it. Mm-hmm. Similarly, when, when George Floyd was killed, you have some people who are more worried about, well, we don't know what happened two minutes before. Well, we don't know this. Well, look at what mm-hmm. happened in the past. You know, everything but the fact that his life had value and dignity in the eyes of God because God created his life. And everything but realizing that you know, he, he could be killed like that in broad daylight <laughs> and we can still be fighting mm-hmm. to get justice. And Ahmaud Arbery had been killed not long before. You have Breonna Taylor. These are just the ones that we're mentioning. 
you know? So for me, I just feel like the the issue on race and sorry, if I get a little emotional, I just feel very strongly about it. You know, when it comes to the issue on race, I don't really think people should approach these issues surrounding racism that are coming up right now um, from a political point of view. I think, especially if you're Catholic or Christian, I think you need to have this Mm -hmm. sort of Christian openness that we should be called to have um, and to really Mm -hmm. just say, hey, maybe I'm wrong on this issue. Maybe Mm -hmm. the millions of Black people who are telling you that they are in pain, the millions of Black men that are telling you they're afraid of going jogging, the millions of Black women that tell you that they are afraid sometimes for their lives and especially for the lives of their sons, of their brothers, of their spouses, Mm -hmm. maybe all of these people can't be quote unquote crazy or on a plantation or brainwashed or intellectually lazy. Maybe these are my brothers and sisters in Christ, or at least my brothers and sisters made in the image and likeness of God, who out of just sheer empathy, I should be willing to listen to them Mm -hmm. and understand that maybe their experience in America is different from mine. Maybe Mm -hmm. their race has, has contributed to the way they're treated because of the way race has been projected and the way it's been portrayed and the, the, the different meanings we've given things, the different systems we have, maybe, just maybe, I could be wrong on this. You know, I feel like just starting from that space of humility and empathy could help yeah. foster a conversation. We should not be relying on Fox News and CNN, to, you know, but like if you are already mm-hmm. just so set in your ways, you're not willing to listen to other people. You're not willing to look at documentaries and resources with the heart a heart that's set on just saying, maybe, just maybe I could be wrong. Then all we're doing is just digging our heels in more and then you can't Mm -hmm. really grow. Um, And I do think it also affects your spirituality. Yeah. You know, one thing I keep thinking of when it comes to um, trying to better understand the pain of the black community is um, you know how if someone you love is experiencing another kind of pain in their life. Maybe they've had a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have cancer. Maybe they are going through a divorce. You know, it's, it's really not helpful to, and most of us hopefully would not think to do so to minimize their pain, you know, to say like, Oh, well, you know, you're pull up your bootstraps. You're going to be okay. You know, like if someone you love is dealing with a major pain you should just be there for them and you should be loving and kind and you should accept their pain and not try to diminish it. Mm -hmm. And that's how I think that uh, the white community needs to be recognizing that and, and just accept that the, the people are allowed their pain and that it's unhealthy to diminish it. And the most kind and loving thing you can do is to acknowledge it. And um, I don't know. I mean, in, you know, in this, in this case, we all need to figure out how to move forward. But we can definitely start by saying, I am s- sorry. And I'm, I'm, um, I really regret your pain. You know, I don't, yes. you can at least start there. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. I think just with, the empathy and acknowledging that, hey, you're having pain. I don't fully understand everything you're saying or all the different things you're talking about and how it's affecting you. I can't pretend to fully relate, but I care about you. I see you're in pain. So I would like to listen to you. And and if if you could tell me a little more about what it's like for you, I would like to listen and just learn. 
you know, that could just right. be the beginning of a conversation to understand different things, you right. know, right. I have, right. I have friends who were white who were, you know, I remember a good friend of mine, we went shopping together and she said, you know, I've never had so many people like come up to me to ask me if, if everything is okay. I said, oh yeah, that's because they want to make sure I'm not stealing. Like that's, and she was so surprised. And many mm-hmm. people have had this experience, um, many mm-hmm. where for black people, they'll tell you, oh yeah, well, yeah, you, it's not something completely foreign to be followed in a store or for someone to ask if you need help Mm -hmm. or to know that you should try to keep your hands Mm -hmm. visible in case someone thinks you're going to steal. Just the fact that you have to accept that as a reality and internalize that and start to, I mean, I'm a freaking doctor. I'm 35 in October. (laughs) And I still, when I go to the department store, I'm like, let me keep my hands or everyone can see like, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's a reflex that comes from these experiences. Right. Now, if you're mm-hmm. somebody who, um, as a friend of mine, and I tell you this story, and you're just more like, oh, okay, when you just miss it, that doesn't really help me at all feel closer or, or value. Right. And it also doesn't give you a chance to learn that we have different experiences in many ways, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, and that's just one small example. That's the smallest of the examples, you know, to give a benign, ben- seemingly benign one. So, I, you know, but yes, I think when it comes to issues on race in particular in this country, there are very different experiences that people are having based on race. And I really feel like it is uncomfortable. And I can imagine for uh, for many white people, it can be very uncomfortable because you're basically having to go into a history where you're being told, well, this is what white people did and blah, 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 you know, and, and maybe find it like you take it a little personal. It's human nature to be defensive, you know, but I feel like it's, we shouldn't approach it thinking that it's about attacking a race or, or your race. It's really more about, no, this race has been being targeted because of their race and they're in pain because of it. And they're trying to explain mm-hmm. to you what they're going through. Um, and it's not just hurting feelings. It's affecting livelihood. It's affecting life. You know, it's something that we need to right. um, to heal from, but you can't heal from something you want to address and you can't address what you don't want to look at. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. No, I feel like there's just so much, so much work to be done. And I mean, all kinds of work, you know, relationship work, spiritual work, legislative work, policy work. I mean, there's just on so many different levels, there's so much to be done. And um, I don't know, I think we all need to be examining ourselves and seeing where maybe we might be wrong and being open Mm -hmm. to that. I mean, I honestly, I think that's a task for all of us right now. Absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. just with the way our politics is going right now, I mean, I feel like we we are, if, I, I don't know exactly how to characterize it, maybe we're at a turning point in our history. Maybe we are at a, just a particular moment of struggle. Maybe we're at one of these clunks, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> in yes. our, in our nation, but we are at something. We are at something right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that as part of this society, we all have a duty to look at ourselves and really be honest with ourselves and s- try as best we can to strip away those attachments and um, anything that's sort of clouding our vision and just be really honest with ourselves and do an examination of what we believe and our consciences and um, what we're holding on to. Yes. and really use our our hearts and our reason to determine whether it's worth holding on to or whether we've been wrong. Yes. 
I think you're right. I think from the reason point of view, I think even that is problematic in the sense that there's so much misinformation. Um, and the good thing is there are a lot of really good resources that are out right now. There are good documentaries that are talking about issues around race, like 13th. Um, you have the African-Americans, Many Rivers to Cross. It's a brilliant, wonderful, beautifully done documentary that goes through the whole history of African-Americans from um, slavery onwards. Um, but the reason aspect, I think, is not going to be as effective if your heart isn't there first. You know what I yeah. mean? Like when I was pro-abortion, hearing statistics like, well, only 1% of, cons uh, of, of situations surrounding um, conception and people having abortion are incest and rape, that didn't suddenly make me go, oh, 99% are from, from you know, people who were consenting. So therefore, my views changed. I didn't change just because of that. Giving me all of the statistics on abortion did not change my point of view because my heart was really set. Um, but when I opened my heart, and I was, op I was now ready to listen to another idea. I wasn't suddenly pretending that, oh, I'm fully on board, but I was open to listening. But when I was reasoning and being honest, at that point now, it was hard to deny the facts that were in front of me or to empathize with the unborn, to see them as individuals in their own right. And I have been through a crisis pregnancy myself and having left an abusive marriage um, while pregnant and while pro-life, but nonetheless going through a crisis pregnancy, right? And it just mm -hmm. reaffirmed mm -hmm. my, my, my belief that every child has a right to life. And my daughter, her right to life didn't come just because I love her and she's amazing. She has value because Christ decided she was worthy to be conceived, you know? So every single soul that is conceived, um, regardless of your age, whether you were three weeks in utero or whether you're 95 years old, you know, whether you are white, whether you are black, whether you are Hispanic, whether you're biracial, your life has mm -hmm. value. And I think we have to soften our hearts when it comes to the issue of abortion. Many people need to soften their hearts on that, but also on the, on many issues regarding race, particularly in America, um, since it's, what's going on here, people need to soften their hearts and just really say, well, maybe I'm wrong. And if I know that I believe all life has value and I want to be caring and loving to all people, let me listen to the pain of these people soft in my heart and go from there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think motherhood really has a way of softening your heart. Like I I have always um been pro-life. I never changed my mind on that. But um since I became a mother, I have I've actually found it to be much harder to talk about abortion because I it feels more personal to me now. Mm. And um just the idea of contemplating the act of abortion is is so overwhelming to me mm -hmm. having, you know, been pregnant five times and having birthed five babies and having loved five babies. Mm -hmm. It's, um, it's, it's actually almost like a, I don't know, I'm almost having like a PTSD sort of situation in response to it because mm -hmm. I've just become so sensitive to the idea of, um, the value of these little babies, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but my motherhood has, has also thankfully softened my heart to mm -hmm. the value of, other lives, you know, like yeah. I remember very clearly sitting in the rocking chair in our old house um, with my first baby. And um, my husband and I were either watching or listening to a documentary about the rape of Nam King. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's a situation in um, China mm. during the Second World War where um, the Japanese were just atrocious to the people of this city. It was horrible. People were just tr 
tortured, mm. treated awfully. And um, so we were, you know, taking in this documentary and I kind of had a meltdown because here mm. I had my baby on my lap. I was rocking yes. this new baby and I was looking at him and I was thinking about all these people who were victimized. And I just thought, somebody rock them like that. Mm -hmm. At some point, their mother rocked them and looked at them and thought they were just perfect. They yes. were so precious to their mothers. And even if not to their mothers, they were so precious to God. I mean, you know, you look at your new baby and they just look like a work of art. You yes, know? They look they like do. absolute perfection. And I remember looking down at like that smooth line of my baby's cheek and just thinking like all of those people had that same smooth line when they were this age hmm. and they were so precious. And how dare these people not have recognized that? Yeah. And since that moment, I have become just much more attuned to the value of every human life. Yeah. And I have felt the pain of atrocities much more. And I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think we should be doing that, you know? Yeah. And so it has been easier since becoming a mother to look at these situations of um, like the death of George Floyd mm -hmm. um, and like the, the shooting in Christchurch and um, yeah. you know, all sorts of terrible things happening in the world. It's been easier for me to look on those victims with like, sort of a, a defiant love like mm -hmm. <laughs> like you were too precious for this to happen to you mm -hmm. and I think we should all be challenging ourselves to be looking at other people like that yes absolutely I think yeah I totally agree with you <laughs> we need to cherish lives more and I think we if we really believe that all people are created equal <laughs> then I think we need to make sure that we value all lives equally in our actions as well and in the responsibility that comes with life being violated. You know, mm -hmm. that's not the reality we live in right now. Um, mm -hmm. But it's what we, I believe we can get there, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, but it requires us to be willing to be uncomfortable um, and yeah. to be willing to change our views on things because, you know, you look at um, everything going on right now, it's, it's legal in this country to go end a human life. Right. I mean, in some places mm -hmm. up, up to weeks before the birth of a child, you can go end mm -hmm. a human life. Um, children mm -hmm. are known, you know, they're children who are being born as preemies and we're doing everything we can to save a child who's 26, 27, 28 weeks old. Yeah. You can have mm -hmm. a child who's 30 weeks old, who's term literally are almost term. Mm -hmm. And it's legal to say that you can end that individual's life just because it is legal and just because a lot of people's hearts have been hardened and are not connecting with that person's humanity doesn't make that okay. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I feel with race. I think right. a lot of people may not realize it, but we have, you have been pra programmed to not value black life. And there are many mm -hmm. ways this shows up. It can become, in, it can come up in the way black lives are criminalized and demonized um, in the way people do not understand the history of policing in this country and the systemic issues we have. You have many people so saying, do we have systemic issues and things like that, you know? Um, but whatever the case, it ends up resulting in Black life, honestly, just not being valued as much. It's why we'll talk about buildings more. It's why enough mm -hmm. people will not be angry about the fact that Trayvon Martin was a teenager who was killed. He was killed and his killer walks free. But yet you have innocent people who are being killed and their killers walk free. It's just, I don't know, it's just really... Mm -hmm. 
it's it's a lot, and I feel like there there's a lot of, there's a lot there. It's really heavy. It's not it's not an overnight conversation. It's not an online Facebook comment section conversation, yeah. you know. But but the conversation needs to start, and I think people yeah. can take it upon themselves to to do research, to watch documentaries, to reach out to people if they want to talk more about it or learn more about it. But at least to have that heart, um, because like you said, every baby is born. <laughs> It's born and was rocked and loved or deserved to be rocked. And certainly our blessed mother was loving on them from the moment of their birth, mm-hmm. you know, from the moment of their conception. Right. So I just feel like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's the Catholic in me that feels very much like passionate about the fact that we should value all life and we should be willing to be uncomfortable to do the right thing. Right. Right. Because valuing life is worth being uncomfortable. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, you said um, a couple of minutes ago, you said, you know, something about if we really believe we're all created equal. Mm-hmm. I think like right now in this difficult situation that we're in in our country and um, especially as we approach a presidential election, like I think we should think about what our public and um, patriotic values are, you know, like Mm -hmm. what are the things we think we believe about our country? Like what are the principles we think it stands for? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we should apply that to our political opinions. Mm -hmm. Like, do we believe in equality? Do we believe in justice? Do we believe in liberty? You know, do we, what are the things we hold dear mm-hmm. and are we being true to those things yes in our political thought and our political action or have we sacrificed them to our preferred side or yes. to to what feels most comfortable in our community or mm-hmm. to our resentment or whatever it is that's that's holding us down Absolutely. I, I totally agree. And I think I feel like I see this dangerous trend happening in our country where people are um, getting more and more tied into their political party or whatever, like, okay, I identify as this mm-hmm. or that. And therefore, what, mm-hmm. and I know you had talked about this in an earlier podcast, you know, you start, you put mm-hmm. yourself on this box. You basically say that because I'm a Republican or because I'm a Democrat, this is what I believe on this, or I'm just going to support all of these things. And you only consume new sites that seem to have that same flavor. And that's all you hear. And you end up in a bubble. Mm-hmm. And before mm-hmm. you know it, one person is saying, hey, I believe that we should be kind and loving to immigrants. And we should have abortion. And we should bring in communism. Then you have another site that's saying, hey, I believe we should be able to say God's name in a public space. Hey, I believe we should we should um, protect the unborn and actually make sure that their lives can be protected by the law. Um, but you know what? I think the death penalty is perfectly fine. And you know what? I think George Floyd. You know, it's sad that it happened, but the looting's worse. Or hey, these other people was it really race? I mean, is that really the problem? And you know, and immigrants are this, and Mexicans are rapists. Like it's just like this huge disconnect. And I'm just as thinking, people are just so f- further and further off. Um, into these extremes, I feel. And um, it just makes me really sad. I especially feel as a Catholic, 
given that this country has a, you know, majority of the people here are identify as being Christian, you find, whether it's varying degrees or whatnot. And I feel like if we are saying that we are Christian, we should be held to a different standard than someone, for example, who's an atheist or agnostic. Um, granted, we have natural law. And so we know that in general, there are certain things we would consider universal, but particularly when you're Christian and you're bound to scripture, you're bound as a Catholic to scripture, to the magisterium, to all of this. I don't think you should be identifying yourself politically and how you're going to vote very much with the party you're in, because none of these parties are fully reflective of, of a Catholic identity or even, even as a Protestant, there's some things I would say, but certainly as a Catholic, <laughs> we don't have gray area. We don't pick and choose what we believe as Catholics, you know? So my journey, like I said, from being like a super duper strong liberal Democrat all day, every day, pro-abortion, I'm now an independent, unaffiliated, whole life person, Catholic, Catholic. I try to be Catholic first. Um, and I just feel like a lot of, it's hard. I, I, sometimes it's tempting to be in a box. I, I miss it. <laughs> I miss when I was yeah, just like, yeah. I am a liberal and this is my view on marriage. Now yeah. I'm like, well, actually, this is my view on marriage. This is my view on life. But these are still my yeah. views on immigration. These are still my views on racism. These are still my yeah. views on, on protecting the marginalized. But that is not my view on, I do not want communism. So, you know, it's just, yeah. I don't know. So, I don't know. It's just yeah, really, I know. I said it in that other episode, but oh yeah, I miss being in a box too. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot, um, it's a lot more comfortable to sort of have like this set defined sort of space you are to inhabit and to have people who are like ready made to be in agreement with you. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more uncomfortable to step out of that box and yes. to have to do the work to figure out where you stand and how you can best represent your values to the world. Exactly. It's a lot harder. Exactly. (laughs) But racism is not a liberal thing. Abortion is not a conservative thing. Those are both Catholic things. And, And the more people keep staying in these boxes we're talking about, the harder it is for them, in my opinion, to be led by their faith. And I think one good step to take towards right. that is to like to pray about it, go to the Blessed Sacrament, go to adoration, ask the Lord to open your heart um, and just be open to the fact that you could be wrong on, on certain issues. You know, um, right. we have to always be open to that. And it's also um, I mean, it's also not just a Catholic thing. I mean, right, right. It's a it's a consistent thread of valuing life. And Absolutely. there are people from different religious backgrounds and even not religious backgrounds who can appreciate the consistency in valuing life at all stages. Yes. Um, yes. at all seasons. So, yeah. Absolutely. It's not necessarily a religiously driven thing at all. Um, right. but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, for you and I, as both, both as Catholics, it's natural for us to think of that first. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's it. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Very true. Um, all right, Linda, to, to wrap up our conversation, I, I think it's important for us to recognize that like in all the difficulty right now, we're not done. It's, there's more of it coming. Like, (laughs) um, as tough as things are in this moment, we've got a lot more ahead and we, we can't fool ourselves into thinking we can fix it all. We can't fool ourselves into thinking that an election is going to fix it all. Um, all we can do is look at ourselves, really. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all we can do is to consider ourselves and to consider our place in this situation and 
what we can do in our own lives and the lives of the people we interact with in order to bring some improvement. Because I I don't know about you, but I tend to get tripped up a lot on the idea that I can't fix it all. Mm-hmm. Like I look at the situation in the world and I I have a meltdown for a minute because things just seem so bad and they seem like they're going to be so bad in the future. And, oh, there's nothing that can be done. And then thankfully, I normally have a moment where I can back up and say, well, no, you can't fix that. But you can work on what's right in front of you and you can work on your heart and -hmm. you can work on your family and you can be a better friend Mm -hmm. and you can be kinder to the people you interact with and you can make some difference. It's not all of the difference, but you can do something. (laughs) So I think that's important for us to remember right now. As bad as things are, it's so tempting to just stick your head in the sand. And it's important to remember that even if we can't fix it all, and we can't, we can do something. So I don't know if you have any, anything you wanted to add to that or any other thoughts that you wanted to end with. I think what you said is so true and a really good reminder that this is not about us being perfect or making the world perfect. Um, And if we are trying to address this by trying to say, I want to see how I can end this, we would end X, Y, Z, we would get really overwhelmed. But I love the idea Mm -hmm. of just starting small, starting at home, um, starting with our hearts, like you said, just even having the empathy, maybe making ourselves uncomfortable and saying, okay, today I might listen to something or watch a documentary that's different from what I would usually watch or look more into the history of racism or look more into the history of abortion or just, I don't know, talk to my neighbor, be kinder, whatever. Just have this practice Mm -hmm. of being, of being um, open-hearted, I think, and being receptive Mm -hmm. And taking baby mm-hmm. steps and being uncomfortable. And then as we are changing on certain beliefs, um, or if we start to feel convicted on things, um, if we want to say, how can I act? Like you said, it could be a prayer. It could be a donation to an organization. It could be volunteering in some capacity, writing a letter, whatever we think we can do. As parents, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. if you have children, I think one very powerful thing you can do is to talk to your children so that you can start to help mm-hmm. them be better than you were, to know more than you did. If you find that you've changed your views on something or your eyes have been open, then start a conversation Mm -hmm. with your child. Start a conversation with your cousin, with your brother. I wouldn't do it on Thanksgiving, but you know, maybe start to have (laughs) these combos with loved ones that you feel safe with, who maybe were thinking the way you did. Those are really major contributions that a person can do that can help make everything better little by little. Yeah, you probably can make the most difference with the people who are from a most the most familiar place, you know. Yes, like, yes. Who have a similar story to your own. Yes. Yeah, I think it's important too when um, when you know when we say like to look at yourself, consider when you, whether you might be wrong. Like as Catholics, when we approach confession, we are to do an examination of conscience, like mm-hmm. to to look at yourself and to see what you've done, and to to be honest with yourself about what sins you've committed. I think it's really important for people to do um, an examination of conscience when it comes to their political beliefs and Mm. actions and their actions in society. Like just to just sit by yourself and think through various issues and think like, well, what's my knee jerk reaction? What is my hang up? How have I spoken on this issue? Mm -hmm. Um, What sort of 
hate or resentment am I harboring in my heart toward people on the other side of this issue? Like Mm -hmm. to just go through it all and just sort of figure out how you're orienting yourself to the world and especially to people you disagree with and figure out um, which of those things need to be changed to help you pursue truth and goodness and love to make you kinder and um, to really strip away whatever needs to be stripped away so that you can do the right thing. I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we all have a responsibility to, <laughs> to, to do the right thing. And that responsibility is more important than our comfort and attachments. Yes. Beautifully said, Julie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, I have really enjoyed this, Linda. It's, you know, these are hard things. And I mean, I mean, I should acknowledge too that like, you know, none of us, we don't really want to consider the idea that we, we, that we might be wrong. Like it's way more comfortable to go through life and just be like, I'm right. And I've got all the right opinions. And, you know, why would I need to question myself? Why would I need to look at myself? That's way more comfortable, but that's not the way to improve or to become better and to become closer to God. It's really not. So, I mean, perhaps you'll look at your conscience and you'll find some good things you did too. I'm not saying that people are wrong about everything, but we have to at least be open to the idea that we could be wrong. So I appreciate you for suggesting the topic and I really enjoyed talking with you. So um, I would love to talk to you again sometime. Definitely. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Julie. I enjoy your podcast and this was a really great conversation. So (laughs) hopefully we'll do it again. I'm game. Great. (laughs) Thank you, Linda. (laughs) I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Linda Wansi. To learn more about Linda, please check out her Instagram account at the handle Comerican Chick. I'll link to it, as well as the documentaries and blog posts mentioned in our conversation, in the episode description. Next week's episode will feature a conversation with Dr. Michael Toll, a professor in the Department of Political Science at Mount St. Mary's University. Dr. Toll and I will be discussing the concept of executive power, the power assigned by our Constitution to the executive branch of government, and given to it, or taken by it, over more than 200 years of muddling through the checks and balances instituted by our founders. At a time when the presidency seems to be growing ever more powerful, it's good to stop and consider the history and the future of executive power in the United States. Thank you for listening to this episode of More Than Politics. I hope you'll subscribe to it, and that if you like it, you'll leave a rating or review so others can find it. I'd appreciate any shares, too. Your help is the best way to let others know about the podcast. My name is Julia Varner-Walsh. I'm your host. You can learn more about me by checking out my blog at theisvolsblog.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at Julie V. Walsh and Facebook at More Than Politics Podcast. If you have ideas for topics you'd like me to cover or guests you'd like to hear from, please email me at julie.walsh.thesewalls at gmail.com. This podcast's theme music is by purple-planet.com.